hello and welcome to Mashmouth, a podcast covering every single episode of hit 1970s sitcom, MASH. I'm Ethan. And I'm Vanessa. Vanessa, we are at the season finale. For a while, it didn't seem like we'd get to the season finale, but I'm glad that we did. I'm glad that we've continued with the show and uh, really kind of made it work for us. We're having a lot of fun. And I, I'm just really grateful that we're we're doing the show in general. Yeah, me too. I think that when we started, 24 episodes seemed really daunting as people who had never hosted a podcast before. But, you know, we got here in under three years. So here we are. <laughs> Not quite the, like, six months that it should have taken. I think we're a little bit longer than that. But, you know. Hey, not by much. <laughs> we had a few ups and downs, but hey. It's all a learning experience, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And we're so thankful to all of our listeners as well, of course, because without you guys, you know, we'd still be doing the show, right? But it wouldn't be as fun. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how much we're actually, like, growing and people are actually responding to the show. It, like, makes my my entire year. It's so exciting. And in celebration of finishing the season, I wanted to ask you, if you had a personal top five favorite episodes of the season. Okay, so this is actually really hard for me, and this is definitely subject to change, for sure. So mm-hmm. Of course. <laughs> and this is so this is in no particular order, but my top five favorite are Yankee Doodle Doctor, Dear Dad, Tuttle, Sometimes You Hear the Bullet, and Love Story. Ooh, we differ a little bit. I didn't have Love Story on here. Mine are, and these are actually um in order, but that order might change as soon as I finish saying them. So mine are number five, Dear Dad Again. Number four, The Long John Flap. Number three, Tuttle. Number two, Yankee Doodle Doctor. And number one, Sometimes You Hear the Bullet. <laughs> that's my uh, that's my hard top five, I think. That makes sense. Like, So we're pretty similar. I forget if... Dear Dad or Dear Dad Again was my favorite, but one of the Dear Dad episodes was definitely one of my favorite for sure. I liked Dear Dad Again a lot more than the first Dear Dad. It was just a little more structured. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I like Love Story too, but I didn't think about putting it on the, the top five. I like that you did because I really did like that episode. I liked Radar in that one particularly. Love Story might be... Either my number one or my number two this season. Whoa, that's crazy. Yeah. Not sometimes you hear the bullet. Well, those two, these two episodes are so different, you know. So it's it's hard to really like place them. But maybe sometimes you hear the bullet. But definitely, love story is in the top two. (laughs) And that's where uh, (laughs) the ah Bach comes from. Yes, exactly. So how could I not love that episode? (laughs) As we learned, Ah Bach is a consistent meme in the MASH community <laughs> to this day, which I love. It's it's so funny what fandom will latch on to. Yeah, definitely. All right, re- respect, respect. So, <laughs> let's get into the season finale episode, shall we? Yes, definitely. Okay, in this episode, the season finale, Showtime, the camp watches a USO show while their minds are elsewhere. That's kind of the only way that we can describe this one because it has a very interesting structure. Yeah. What did you think of this episode? So I really liked this episode. I liked I really liked the unique structure of it. I thought this episode really rounded out the season so well because it had 
every aspect I feel of MASH that the show was trying to go for and I really really appreciated it plus it was just interesting I just had a really good time watching it as well yeah I agree this was a very interesting season finale and I almost put it on my top five but Honestly, just because we haven't talked about it yet, the other ones kind of edged it out. <laughs> uh, but this has a like crazy interesting structure with like how it's edited and how it's like written. Not to sound pretentious, but this is almost like a short film. Like you can mm-hmm. see some like kids student film where they're like really trying to be a cool filmmaker, <laughs> uh, like structured like this. I've honestly never seen anything like it in tv before like uh how they did this so it was very interesting to see them do this so early on in the show especially you know a few decades ago where being experimental with how you structure television wasn't exactly in vogue yet you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i think that i just i don't know i really liked this episode i really liked the editing i thought i thought that it should have uh gotten a nomination for editing because that's how much i liked it So I guess getting into it, it starts out and they're watching a USO show, which if you don't know, is like a performance of music from usually girls and like stand up comedy to kind of like lay in the mood and get everybody in a better headspace than maybe they would be. You know, it's a morale thing. And while they're watching this USO show, we keep getting flashbacks to different things that have happened around camp over the past like few days. And the first time that they introduced this was very sudden and, like, kind of jarring. It was uh, the stand-up comedian comes out, and he's, like, joking around. He's like, hey, it's war. We're all in this together. Am I right? And then hard cut to, like, cacophonous sounds of an ambulance being rolled in and Hawkeye and Frank kind of, like, escorting Uh, people off the ambulance and Hawkeye like giving orders so it's like interesting juxtaposition between what the stand-up wants the war to be in his routine and what it like actually is it's very interesting yeah I noted immediately that right off the bat no one really cares about this USO show if you see it everyone's kind of has like a bored expression on their face Mm -hmm. they're talking to each other not really paying that much attention and then they kind of give obligatory claps to the women performing this is what I mean when I said that this episode was kind of doing what MASH set out to do of this juxtaposition between how war is kind of seen and how war actually is. And I think that what they were going for with this episode, at least this is what I took away with it, um, this USO kind of point in the show, was that these civilians just kind of didn't get it. (laughs) And with the comedian's line of, hey, we're all in this together, right? It's like, no, we're not all sharing the same burden as American citizens in this war equally. And as much as during the Korean War and during wars previous, that's kind of how it was perceived. Like, American citizens, oh, we're all in this together. And it wasn't like that. Like These doctors were seeing arguably the worst sides of the war, and people who weren't experiencing that weren't going to be able to really get it. So the audience is kind of reminded that the USO show is this idea of what war is and the doctors are reminding the audience that 
this is what actually war is like. That's quite a heavy monologue to start out our episode with, but I, <laughs> I agree. This USO show is very interesting framing because it, it keeps cutting back to this show and then different fragments of storylines that happened with the actual like main characters of the show. And it's not always related. It's not like the comedian says something that like triggers a memory. It's just kind of like, mm -hmm. this is what's happening here. And then meanwhile, this is what happened in the 4077 a few days ago. It's just kind of unrelated, but still kind of creates a sense of, uh, like I said, juxtaposition between the two. And I really liked how at first the comedian was just completely bombing. Like, he was making, like, <laughs> jokes about how, like, his wife is ugly and stuff like that, where they were just completely not giving him anything to work with, like, no laughter or, like, even pity applause. But then he reworks his material to be more focused on, like, medical stuff. That actually gets a response, and I thought that was, like, pretty fun that he has kind of an arc throughout it as well. <laughs> yeah, you definitely saw them kind of warming up to this guy a little bit more as the episode went on. And I did appreciate that. I still maintain that they were like, okay, we're doing this out of basically pity because these people came to like entertain us and we're not entertained. So when is this going to be over? And even you even see it in the beginning bit of the episode henry is like checking his watch like okay like how much longer is this because we have things to do i don't know man that that one joke he told about uh the naval doctor that that kind of got me <laughs> i was like that's pretty good and that's when everybody yeah. else laughs so you know yeah so some work some don't but getting into the actual storylines of this one it's kind of interesting to talk about because they're all very fragmented it's not mm -hmm. A complete story cut back to the USO show. Here's another complete story. It's the beginning of a story cut to the USO show. Here's the beginning of another story cut to USO show. Here's another one and so on and so forth. Um, and then they kind of like play those out in fragments over the episode. So we're going to start with, I think, Trapper and Father Mulcahy's storyline and we're just going to kind of go and talk about that and then we're going to talk about the other ones. Yeah, so we start out right after this scene with Frank and Hawkeye kind of going at it a little bit, which we'll get back to. <laughs> Is Trapper and Margaret in the OR and they're working on this patient who is not doing well. Ugly John is administering anesthesia and he is keeping tabs on his heartbeat and his blood pressure and stuff like that and he's He's just really not doing well. So in this scene, Father Mulcahy comes over and sees that, you know, Trapper is quite distressed while he's working on this patient. And he asks if there's anything he can do to help. And Trapper says, if you can make me a better doc or if you can pray to make me a better doctor in the next five minutes, that would be great or something like that. And I really this that part was so sad to me because basically the main drive of the storyline is Trapper becoming desperate that he can't save this patient and then father mulcahy feeling like kind of useless there were other emotional bits but this was definitely like the drama of the episode mm -hmm. um and it wasn't like over dramatic it was something that kind of kept happening and wasn't like melodramatic at all and i liked how trapper was the one kind of going through this because we've seen mm -hmm. hawkeye deal with this similar thing before of like him losing a patient but this is the first time that we get to see Trapper kind of go through the same thing 
and how he reacts and how he's uh like also kind of can't handle it even though in like previous episodes when it was Hawkeye going through this he was kind of the voice of reason but now mm-hmm. that he's in the the chair let's say he knows that this is something that he can't help but is something that he still is like struggling with and it was very it was very interesting yeah, I really liked it. And then right after this one scene in the OR with Father Mulcahy and Trapper, it intersplices the USO show again. And that kind of solidified to me. I, I really, really loved how the USO show was used so much in this show, which is why I thought the editing was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, because after every scene, the USO show is back in. So... It more drove home the point that there was war. Like, this is what the actual war was, and this is what the American people perceived the war to be. Or wanted the war to be. Exactly. And I thought that it was really, really beautifully done with these really hard-hitting scenes, and then singing, and these really hard-hitting scenes, and then singing again. (laughs) And I really liked that. And Father Mulcahy's bit of this as well, because it is kind of like a a double-hander between him and Trapper. Mm -hmm. It's like a shared storyline. I I liked his kind of crisis in this as well, because it wasn't necessarily like... You would assume that the priest would have a crisis of, like, faith, and he never does. He's never, like, questioning, like, religion or anything, but he is questioning, like, what purpose do I actually serve here? Like, there isn't much Mm -hmm. that I actually do. And it was a very interesting thing for him to go to go through because it felt just very realistic and like well observed, you know? Yeah, I really liked how Father Mulcahy goes to Hawkeye after this scene with Trapper in the OR. He basically confides in him that he is feeling useless because the doctors get to see the results of their work right away in the sense of they either save a patient or they don't. And most of the time they do save a patient and it's very rewarding and whatnot. And Father Mulcahy's work there is more spiritual healing and whatnot. And it's less immediate than the doctor's work. And he's really grappling with that through this episode. It was really touching how Hawkeye gave Father Mulcahy these reassurances. And you kind of see that Father Mulcahy doesn't really believe it at first. So Hawkeye says that his professor in medical school said to him that God saves the patients, but the doctors take the fee. And I really loved that, even though Father Mulcahy felt like he wasn't valuable, and maybe Hawkeye didn't necessarily believe what his professor had told him, he knew that Father Mulcahy was valuable. And he wanted to help him see that. And I just, I really loved that scene. Yeah, I really liked this interaction between Hawkeye and Father Mulcahy too, because like you're right, it, it kind of felt like Hawkeye was saying this not necessarily because he believed that God is like working through him as as a surgeon or whatever, mm-hmm. but he he knows that like Father Mulcahy is a good man and like this is what he needs to hear. It didn't feel like he was being disingenuous, you know. It didn't feel like he was yeah. lying to him. It felt very much like he was genuinely trying to reach out and help him in the the small way that he could. And he even said, like, I've done stuff in surgery that I shouldn't be able to do. And Mm -hmm. that was like his way of saying, like, God does play a role in it. 
it was just good. It, the way they handled the religious aspects of it wasn't like overdone or wasn't too critical. I like the religious aspects of the show a lot. They they handle it very well. Yeah, I agree. So right after, not right after, but in the chronological telling of this story, Father Mulcahy is called away from the USO show to administer last rites to this patient um, that Trapper had been working on. And so Father Mulcahy comes in. Trapper is so upset. So he is just, you see it in his face. And this is, this to me was great acting from Wayne Rogers too, of like, he seemed really, really upset about this patient. And then you get this beautiful scene where Father Mulcahy grabs the patient's hand to administer him last rites. And he immediately, um, his blood pressure improves and he kind of just like comes out of this coma. And to me, this was the symbolic nature of Father Mulcahy grabbing this patient's hand to lead him onto the afterlife. It really drove home the point to me that, like, why Father Mulcahy was there. Like, the doctors are there to do the actual physical saving of the patient, and Father Mulcahy is there to see them through the rest of recovery and the spiritual need for recovery after something like war. And I just, I loved it. And Father Mulcahy was so shocked and it was such a great scene where this guy just comes back to life, essentially. And it didn't feel cheesy. Like, it, it yeah. is kind of like cheesy when you talk about it. But again, just the way they handle stuff like this, it doesn't feel preachy. It doesn't feel cheesy. It doesn't feel like a melodramatic. It just felt very honest. And it, w it was very good. And by the way, did you notice that after this happens, they imply that Trapper and Margaret are like going to hook up? And I thought that was just <laughs> weird. So Trapper is led off by Margaret because he doesn't want... He was doing the same thing that Hawkeye was doing at one point um, in a previous episode of like sleeping by the patient, not leaving his side until he recovered. And Margaret kind of leads Trapper away and is like, okay, like go get some rest, dude. And Hawkeye kind of suggests that he could imagine them like getting together. And it was just like a weird thing. I don't know. I guess they needed some kind of comedy interspliced in there to break up the hard hitting. I thought that was like, to use like modern fandom language, I thought that was like weird shipping language of like, <laughs> they're going to get together, guys. It's going to be cool. Did anybody want that? Did anybody was like, <laughs> Trapper and Margaret, that is my pet. It was just very strange to me. I didn't quite get yeah. it. <laughs> That's a little bit weird. I think that... um. I don't know, because, like, Margaret was just, like, being a good nurse and, like, a good friend, I guess, to Trapper, essentially. And it's just, like, it's weird. <laughs> but then the comment of, like, oh, you think they might... Father Malkahi's like, oh, what do you what do you mean, Hawkeye? And then <laughs> Hawkeye's just like, oh, they might roll Easter eggs together. Which I don't know what that's, like... I know it's a euphemism, but, like, what is rolling an Easter egg? I don't know what that means, practically. <laughs> yeah, I honestly have no idea. That was so strange. Okay, so along with this more heavy, like, dramatic storyline of actual conflict, there's one that is just pure kind of throwaway comedy, and that's with <laughs> uh, Kaplan, the dentist of the outfit, who gets his home orders and is very nervous about being injured on his, like, last day before going home. 
it was so ridiculous the things he was doing like he wouldn't pass hawkeye the salt because he didn't want to be cross-contaminated with any germs he made hawkeye pull his papers out of his jacket pocket because he didn't want a paper cut to possibly get infected it was so ridiculous and it was so funny it was i don't know (laughs) might cut this out but it was aggressively jewish and it was very strange (laughs) yeah the actor was um he was this caricature basically of a jewish person in like the nicest sense possible like a real woody allen before woody allen yes Yes, and it was it was honestly so funny. And Ethan and I are Jewish, so like we recognized this right away. And it was just it was hysterical. I loved it. I thought the execution this actor did was phenomenal. <laughs> yes, this uh this actor did a great job because he was really hitting that uh that just very specific kind of guy very well. <laughs> yeah, I think you have to watch it to really yeah to really get it because it's like (laughs) this is so jewish i'm like i don't know if this is offensive or not um (laughs) but like whatever man (laughs) and then how it resolves was like the the perfect like cartoon karma kind of thing where Mm -hmm. he's getting into a jeep and he's like berating the kid driving the jeep and he's like you're too young for this let me drive let me drive and then he drives and he like crashes into a tree or something like immediately (laughs) And so he's he's injured on his last day before he goes home. Yeah, this was really funny. I feel like this was such a filler kind of storyline because they needed, you know, a half hour or 22 minutes, whatever it was. And they just couldn't get it <laughs> with what they had so far. So they're like, oh, let's throw this goofy Jewish dentist in. <laughs> Who I think is in a previous episode. He might be in the one with the fool's gold. Yeah, if not this actor, then this character was definitely supposed to have been in previous episodes. Maybe that was vindication for uh, how much they hated the Fool's Gold episode. They're <laughs> like, well, this character that existed in that one, we're going to wreck him now. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to get into my favorite bit of the Ooh. episode, which is Henry's wife giving birth? I loved this. Yes, I would love to get into it. I absolutely loved this whole storyline. I thought from beginning to end, it was so cute and so sweet and also kind of sad. Uh, What did you think about it? If you've listened to the show at all so far, you know that we're big suckers for anything involving Henry. We just just (laughs) love Henry. So him kind of freaking out about being a father again for the third time while in Korea, which I imagine is a legitimate nightmare. I truly could not comprehend that kind of stress to be away from your child. And Radar's kind of there, kind of like coaching him through it a little bit, but he doesn't really Mm -hmm. know how to. It was very cute and had a very cute resolution. Yeah, So we first see Henry more angry and tense and mad than I feel like we've ever seen him before in any of the episodes. And then we find out, of course, it's because his wife is potentially going into labor and he is thousands of miles away in Korea. And at this time, you know, they didn't have cell phones, obviously. Mm -hmm. There was like he had to go through these crazy channels to even call the hospital and he couldn't even speak to his wife eventually in the end, you know, and childbirth was and still is like super dangerous for women and i can't even imagine just 
the terror that Henry was feeling. And I thought that McLean Stevenson did such a good job of like being so terrified before his wife gives birth. And then we get Radar on the phone and Henry says, oh, like, who are you talking to? And he says, the hospital, you're you're you have a son or something like that. And it was so sweet. The look on his face was so excited and so beautiful. So this part I thought was a little bit like, not mean, but the beginning of the segment is like a false labor. They think she's going Mm -hmm. in, they contact the hospital and she's already left. And Henry's like super defeated. He built himself up so much for this one moment to have it taken away. He was like done. And then when we come back to this storyline and Radar is just on the phone with the hospital already talking about how the baby was born. And then Henry like walks in. He's like, oh, what are you talking about? And Radar just tells him like very sweetly, not dismissively at all, saying like, oh, well, he had a kid. Um, and I'm like, why wasn't Henry alerted sooner? Like you should have <laughs> alerted him. You should have, al- <laughs> he should have known. He shouldn't find it out secondhand. <laughs> In all honesty, though, they talk about this a little bit more throughout the show, obviously, but calling home was such a problem like it, you had to go through so much to call home like you had to go through Seoul you had to get California to get a to get a domestic number and then to go to Indiana or wherever um, um Bloomington Bloomington <laughs> so the hospital probably called Henry when his wife was going into labor and then they just got through like after the baby was already born but yeah I understand it it was it was kind of sad that yeah. he wasn't on the phone with his wife while she was having a baby all right, all right. Justify it to me. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> That's why they don't call home that often because it was so difficult to get a line out in a foreign country back, you know, when the show was supposed to be set. Definitely, definitely. I just felt for Henry because he had all this anticipation yeah. and he didn't even get to, like, really experience it. He only got to hear it secondhand, which is a bummer, man. Yeah. And I kind of did the, the mental math, you know? So is this meant to imply that Henry was shipped off to Korea like roughly nine months ago? Or do you think he had home leave roughly nine months ago? I'm trying to figure out the timeline of how long they've been here. It would probably be that Henry was shipped off nine months ago, like right when his wife got pregnant. He, you know, had orders to go out because, you know, we're still early on in the season or like the just the series of the show in general. So I don't think they were supposed to be there for all that long. And again, the Korean War was not as long as the show was. So I think it's kind of implied that Henry had to leave his pregnant wife to come to Korea. Mm. Do they ever get home leave? Do they ever get to like visit home? Not that it's ever shown on the show, but is ever mentioned that they go home every now and again? I don't know. <laughs> um, I think that uh, yeah, I, I just honestly don't know. If anyone out there knows how home leave worked in uh, 1950s during the Korean War, please let us know because I would actually really like to know that. <laughs> yes, please do. Also, while you're at it, tell us your top five of the season. Should have mentioned that earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, Can we just talk about how it was so sad when Henry finds out that he has a son? He's super sad. He's talking to Radar and Hawkeye, and he's just really upset because obviously he's happy that 
he had this baby and his wife is okay and the baby's okay. But, you know, he doesn't get to be there with them. And he says to Hawkeye, let's hope I meet him before he gets drafted and sent over here. And that tore my heart out. Like, completely. I was like, wow, this is, I can't handle this anymore. I I knew you were going to say something about that line. That was a real Vanessa line right there. And yeah, dude, I feel that. And like we said last week, unfortunately, Henry meets an unfortunate end. So everything surrounding this character, whenever they mention his future, is just so sad. They didn't intend for it because they weren't planning this out so far in advance. But every Mm -hmm. time he's like, "Ah, I can't wait to be home. I'm like, buddy, my dude, my man. It's just so sad. And if you think about it, Henry actually never got to meet his son. And that ripped my heart out. That's why I was asking about home leave. I wanted to know if my boy (laughs) ever got to go home to see his boy. I don't think so. I don't think so. No. Oh, what a tragedy. Um, (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> but then this this little uh, storyline ends really, really just beautifully. Oh, yeah. Radar brings in a newborn baby boy that one of the Korean women who works in the camp's laundry just had, and he lets Henry hold the baby well, boy. So that she he can... lets Henry hold the baby boy more, more well, or less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she lets Henry hold her baby and it's just such a it's just such a beautiful moment you can see henry kind of like tearing up and he doesn't want to give the baby back when he knows he has to get back to work and stuff like that and it's just so it's so heartwarming i loved that scene yeah because you know henry's trying to be like a big man like trying to show that he's not upset about missing the birth of his child because that's just like what men had to do especially in the military you had to be kind of emotionless And, like, Mm -hmm. I think it was Hawkeye, I'm not sure, tells him, like, it's okay to be upset, which is always a good lesson to hear. And then how Radar brings in this child for Henry to hold. Like, it's not a great fix because it's not his kid, but it, it has so much good intention behind it. And, you know, Henry understood that, and it was just very nice. It was, like, one of the sweetest moments I think I've seen in any show. It was so kind. (laughs) Yeah, and it was a great way to just kind of, like, round out this storyline. And And give it somewhat of a happy ending. Yeah, and like you said, we just love Henry. Anything involving Henry, I'm going to eat up. So I really liked this. Henry's a good dude, and I love him. So... To round this out, let's finish where the episode started, where Frank is just done with Hawkeye's pranks and berating, and he's like, you're you're not going to make fun of me in front of anybody ever again, and the tables kind of turn, and Frank is the one to do a few pranks on Hawkeye, and I love this storyline too, because I know we dislike Frank, but it was kind of like karmically fun to see him treat Hawkeye the way that Hawkeye treats him. It was like a very fun way to end the season, especially with how heavy the season's been with how many ridiculous things they've done to Frank so far. Yeah, I loved this because this is the first time you really get Frank either stooping to Hawkeye's level or like rising to Hawkeye's level instead of just really kind of being a baby about these pranks that 
Hawkeye pulls on him or like whining about it essentially. And I thought that it was so funny when Frank was just kind of like teeing oh <laughs> about God. all the that little the pranks part. that he was pulling on Hawkeye. <laughs> his little like his little giggles to himself. It made me really like Frank because it was just so like sweet. Anytime Frank laughs, like I'm kind of more sold on him. It makes him a little more human. He's got such a, like a soft, goofy little laugh. I love it. <laughs> I really was like, good on you, Frank. Good for you, man. Because honestly, Hawkeye definitely deserved it. Not that Frank didn't deserve the pranks that he got at times, but Hawkeye definitely deserved a taste of his own medicine. So some of the pranks that so the pranks that we see were originally Hawkeye goes and he tries to get a martini and this still kind of just shoots back in his face. The the martini thing, I just want to say, when that started it wasn't clear that that was a prank or just something that happened, which I think is a great way to like start this because you're not sure like what's up at first, but then it becomes clear yeah. over time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't see Frank doing it, but you know that he did it. So then you see Frank putting this rope in the entryway of the swamp and like it's attached to a bucket and Hawkeye gets drenched in water. And then the next part is... Hawkeye going into the shower right after Frank and Frank somehow messed with the plumbing to make it so that every time Hawkeye stepped into a stall, the water came out of a different shower head. And it was just so Hawkeye's face was like, I can't believe this. What the heck? The bit with the shower head stuff. That was such a like three stooges gag. It was so <laughs> ridiculous. Hawkeye is just kind of figuring it out, right? He's pulling the handle. It's coming out of a different one. He pulls the other one. It comes out of that one. So he switches over to the one that like, is spraying water. And he goes into that one, pulls that handle. And it's the shower that he was just in that water comes out. <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense how that's like possible because he just checked. It was such like an old timey, like three stooges, just visual comedy physical comedy rather it was a good time and like you said interspersed through all this is frank just kind of giggling to himself about it which yeah. is so much fun i loved it so much my favorite is in the shower scene when hawkeye is just like so done the, the look on hawkeye's face was just so funny to me and he get he does that throughout the you know, series where he has this like really done look on his face. I love it. I thought, I think it's just the best. It just personifies that internal feeling. But of course, Hawkeye gets the last laugh. Yes. And he realizes that Frank is, you know, pranking him. And he pranks Frank back and has the walls collapse on the latrine so that Frank is on full display while he's using the bathroom. And Frank kind of just is like, oh, Frank's God. reaction just... to it is so funny, too, because he's not yeah. mad at all. He's just kind of bewildered and then kind of yeah. laughs at it himself. <laughs> like, he's kind of laughing and just pulls the newspaper, like, over his face. And that's where that ends. And it was so good because it was also a reminder of, like, yeah, Frank can mess with Hawkeye, but, like, Hawkeye's gonna get Frank back worse than he gets him, which is mm -hmm. really fun. Good episode overall. There wasn't a dull segment in it. A really good time and a really good way to end the season. 
like you said, this was an encapsulation of kind of everything they've tried to do so far with the show. And you could really feel that. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, like I said, you get the comedy, you get the hard hitting moments, you get the juxtaposition of like war how it's perceived, how it actually is. Just a really great episode. And I have to mention, I loved, and I think you might love this too, I loved the ending credits where they had all the main cast on the screen. Like, it's like a pan of everybody sitting in the USO audience and all the main cast and their names under them. And I just, I love it. I love that as well. This show, a few times, will do the ending credits in a fun way. Like, there was one episode where they did uh, everybody's name through, like, the announcement horn. Um, mm-hmm. I love when they kind of break the normal convention of having just, like, stills from the episode with, like, dry titles over it. I'm a big credit nerd, so having these <laughs> fun little uh, subversions of what's normal is super cool to me. And honestly, if this was... We're going to talk about this, I think, but the first season of this show kind of had not very good ratings, and if this was the series finale, this would have been a pretty good series finale, I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. I was I was just thinking that myself. This was a really good round out for this season, and I would have been, if MASH had only run for one season, I would have been happy with this ending. Yeah. Like we said, it's kind of a total summation of what they've tried to do with the show so far. And I think it was this early show at its best because, you know, obviously MASH evolves. It becomes something much greater than this first season. But as far as this first season goes, I think they did a great job of bringing it to an actual ending. Yeah, definitely. And on that note, I do have some trivia for this episode and also for this season as a whole. So, this is the last appearance of Ugly John, who is played by John Orchard. So, some other credits um, from John Orchard include Hogan's Heroes, Get Smart, and a show called Mannix, which I've never heard of. John Orchard was born in Kennington, London, and he passed away in 1995. And I, I honestly really loved ugly jones character i kind of wish he had been in it for longer and more seasons more episodes they they keep introducing these like other guys who are like surrounded by hawkeye and trapper but every time we we talk about them they're always like well this is his last appearance which is a little sad and i like ugly john too i like his accent i like that he's got like (laughs) an australian maybe british accent i don't know uh, I, he definitely has a British accent. I think he was trying. He's like trying to put on Australian. I'm just not sure. But I like Ugly John, and I'm sad that he's uh, we're not gonna see him again. All right, I know you have a bunch of trivia. So what's what's the other trivia? <laughs> so some other stuff about this season in general. Mash's first season aired on CBS from eight to eight thirty on Sundays, and like Ethan said before. This show ended with terrible ratings. It was 47th in the ratings, which that's was bad. Yeah, that's like cancellation territory. So there are some sources, some rumors saying that the only reason that MASH wasn't canceled after this first season was because the wife of the head of CBS really liked MASH and he renewed it for another season. He greenlit it for another season. 
And I thought that if that's true, that's hysterical. I love that. And I love that woman. <laughs> I I hope that's true. That's one of those stories that is so fun that even if it isn't true, you're like, well, I want to believe the more fun version. I'm believing it's true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can you imagine if the show was only one season, though? Like, ugh. No, the like one of the longest running TV comedies. No, I can't imagine. The highest rated television episode of all time until <laughs> very recently, I suppose, came from a show that was 47th in the ratings. That's why we need to allow shows to like grow and like not cancel them immediately. Come on, television executives. I know you're listening. <laughs> give shows more of a chance please (laughs) yes please so on that same note critics had mixed reviews about this show there was a lot of positive reviews like life basically called it a sitcom of the new era vogue had praised it for being street smart newsweek said that alan alda and wayne rogers had actually outdone their film counterparts of Hawkeye and Trapper, and they gave particular praise to episodes like Yankee Doodle Doctor for using irony in a really good way, and that, of course, is why I think both of us really like Yankee Doodle Doctor. Good taste. But Time magazine described the show as the season's biggest disappointment because it failed to bring the same energy as the movie, which I guess, like, I understand. It's, like, it's kind of hard to translate what the movie did to TV, but of course, we like it better than the movie, I would say. <laughs> yes. As much as it was rated really poorly, this season of MASH picked up a few awards. It was nominated for five Emmys, including Outstanding Comedy Series, Outstanding New Series, Outstanding Achievement in Editing, Outstanding Performance in a Leading Role for Alan Alda, and Outstanding Performance in a Supporting Role for McLean Stevenson and Gary Berghoff. And then it picked up two Golden Globe nominations for Best Comedy and Best Actor in a Comedy, again, for Alan Alda. And we mentioned uh, in a few episodes that it was nominated and may have won for a few lesser known awards for like editing and writing and stuff like that. And I think that for a show that was rated so poorly after its first season, that's kind of a lot of nominations for things. (laughs) If the wife story isn't true, which, you know, who knows? Uh, It might have been the awards that saved the season Mm -hmm. just based on that information. I, of course, don't know anything about the politics of TV networks in the (laughs) 70s. But if I had to guess and make it a little less of a funny story, then, yeah, having a bunch of Emmys and Golden Globe nomination under your belt probably did the show some good. (laughs) That's probably what saved the show, gotta say. It is very cool how they were able to translate an Best Picture nominee film to this just very successful TV show on its own that kind of, as we're watching it now, has very much outlasted the reputation of the film that it's based on. For many Mm -hmm. people, including us, including, you know, whoever else, the TV show is what MASH is, you know? Absolutely. I, I completely agree with you on that one. And yeah, I liked this season so much. And that brings me to our final segment of this show. Before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you out of, (laughs) I wanted to ask you your rating of this season. And we're going to go out of five martini glasses. So how many martini glasses would you give season one of MASH? 
Oh, that is that's an interesting question. <laughs> I, uh, I did like the season a lot, but I didn't think it was like a masterpiece of a season. But I think as it is on itself, I think I would give it a solid 3.5 martini glasses. <laughs> I think I would give it a solid 3.5 martini glasses out of 5. Very, very solid, but not necessarily anything super exceptional at this point. Because I know the show grows into something that is very exceptional. And I'm very excited to uh, to see that happen. What about you? What's your martini out of five? I would have to agree with the 3.5. Uh, I really... It's hard for me not to compare this season to, like the entirety of the show because I've seen it so many times but I would agree that 3.5 it was really solid um it was definitely for me it was above average in the you know first season of a show and yeah I just I I think 3.5 martini glasses is the best way to describe season one yes there are only a few episodes where we're saying that's a little problematic we shouldn't we shouldn't have that yeah, and for the 70s, that's really good, in my opinion. It's really good. And like we said way in the beginning, they start out just like swinging. It feels like mm-hmm. everybody kind of knows these characters and knows these roles very well. And you watch a lot of shows that come out now, especially comedies. And boy, oh boy, you can feel that like first season sludge on it. But mm-hmm. this this doesn't really have that. It's still pretty good. It's not phenomenal. Yeah. But it is, like, you're not going to throw the season in the trash the way that, like, people who love The Office will often skip the first season, you know? No, yeah, definitely. I would say that if you're going to watch the show, watch the first season. (laughs) It's not like it gets good at season three. It it starts good. Definitely, definitely. And I wanted to ask, are you as excited as I am to watch season two? Oh, no, no, not at all. I am complete. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I am beyond excited to watch season two of MASH. And I'm very excited that we're doing the show. And I guess we should say that we're going to take a little bit of a hiatus after mm-hmm. we post this episode. But we are going to be back very, very soon. It really is just a practicality thing. Vanessa's in law school. People are busy. <laughs> but we're going to be back with some weekly MASH goodness soon enough. Yes. We are coming back on May 27th. Exactly. So be prepared. Watch out for MASH Mouth Season 2. Mark your calendar. <laughs> and in the meantime, uh, send us some fan mail and whatnot. Tell us your thoughts on this podcast and the show. We would love to hear from you. We love hearing from anybody who listens. It's honestly so exciting. So thank you for listening. And we'd just like to give thanks to Jacob Friarbalco for being our technical consultant. Vanessa's sister, Melissa, for our awesome cover art. Thank you very much. And of course, we'd like to thank you, our listeners. As always, our music and social media are linked in the description. And until next time, see you at the same time, same place, and same war. Goodbye, farewell, and amen. Bye, everyone. We did it. Season one done.